0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place, customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year, and longer-term inflation expectations appear to remain well anchored. Nevertheless, the the process of getting inflation sustainably down to 2% has a long way to go.
2: The Fed presses pause on its rate-hiking cycle and says it's staying higher for longer, forecasting one more hike this year and fewer cuts than expected in 2024. The Fed's hawkish outlook pushes Treasury yields to fresh multi-year highs, while Wall Street closes in the red, with tech stocks leading the declines.
0: In uh, corporate news, Clavio shares gain 9% on their debut, whilst Arm and Instacart appear to lose a bit of their buzz. Uh, but the CEO uh, tells CNBC he's happy for the software company to list now. We think companies
3: should be profitable. Um, that way you can be in control of your own destiny. That's a big part of us. You know, is all about ownership and being in control. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're excited. I think we've got a lot of momentum as a business. Now's a great time for us to go public.
0: And investors ramping up bets that the Bank of England will jump on the rate-pause bandwagon after a weaker-than-expected inflation print yesterday muddied the waters. We'll have full analysis throughout the show. Good morning, good morning, morning. How are you? Good
2: morning, very well, thank
0: you. Uh, Who's surprised out there? Put your hands up now, what the Fed did. No, I can get my hands lower to the ground. I really couldn't. (laughs) But you'd know that if you've watched this show for a while. Right, let's go through the details and we'll have a good ding dong about it. Then we'll bring a big guest in as well. So the Fed has pressed the pause button. Have they? Have they pressed it? I don't know. I'm already arguing with my producers about this. Press the pause button for looking backwards, but going forwards, well, they left the Fed funds rate target range uh, unchanged between 5.25 and 5.5%. The decision was fully priced in by markets, 99% beforehand, wasn't it? But the central bank's projections, the SEP, suggest tighter than expected policy going forward. I wasn't surprised. A lot of people I've been talking to weren't surprised either, but the market was, I think the market was wishful thinking, I really do. Uh, The all-important SEP, Summary of Economic Projections. This is the dot plot. Love the dot plot, but it has all kinds of things in it. It has four main elements as well. And I'll go through that in a moment as well. But the dot plot shows a majority of FOMC members expect one further rate hike this year. That'll be in November, wouldn't it? At a ratio of almost two to one with the average projection (laughs) suggesting just two cuts next year. But when those cuts will be is also... Surprising, apparently, some people in the market. Well, those projections show tighter policy than the Fed had forecast at its June meeting, where it indicated four rate cuts next year. FOMC members now see an average rate of 3.9% in 2025, compared with 3.4% in June. Now, the meeting was the first time members have projected policy in 2026, where they see rates above the long run neutral level. And again, we can talk about all the big elements of this, the employment, the growth, the inflation, and the rates in a few moments time. Now this tighter set of policy projections comes as the Fed forecasts stronger economic growth and a tighter labor market, both very positive, but not if you want to see interest rates go down quickly. Growth projections for this year were raised by over a percentage point from June forecasts. Again, if you've been watching the show, we've been bringing you what the analysts have been saying, that wasn't surprising, uh, with the outlook for 2024 also improving. FOMC members cut the outlook for unemployment over the next three years, whilst inflation expectations remain relatively stable. Now, Karen and I have argued about uh, Goldilocks quite a lot as well, and I I remain in the, I have to be very skeptical camp about this, because the main at the moment is, yeah, we're having Goldilocks. Well, if we are having Goldilocks, again, that has ramifications of interest rates and for markets. Chair Jerome Powell said economic strength has pushed the Fed's rate expectations higher.
1: I've always thought that the soft landing was,
0: was a plausible outcome, that there was
1: a path, really, to, to a soft landing. I've thought that and I've said that since we lifted off. It's also possible that it, the path is narrowed and it's widened, apparently. Uh, ultimately, um, it may, this may be decided by factors that are, that are outside our control.
2: Well, let's take a look at the market reaction. The major moves were weaker, as you can see, so that was probably no surprise, given we've had the change to the economic scenario and what we're likely to see in terms of rate cuts next year. You can see it was, in particular, the Nasdaq, the tech-heavy index, that saw most of the impact, down one and a half percent. But I would argue that the Dow didn't actually react very much, and you slightly downbeat two tenths of a percent. In that context, so it was those communication services, those companies that are priced around growth and are hopeful that the tech environment is. Is going to see lower interest rates in future as a supportive factor for those future earnings and the valuations. That's where you saw some of the disappointment creeping into markets yesterday. Treasuries, there was movement here. We've seen a movement before the Fed, uh, before the Fed, rather movement after the Fed. And what we had, 5.18. This move on the two-year, the highest level we've seen as 17 years. So the levels really are just flashing up at 5.18. Don't forget, we started that two-year at the beginning of this year around 4.3%. So there's been some escalation at that short end the supportive factor for yields has been a prop under the dollar we've seen that trade since summer and the dollar has been very much a stronger feature here in the session we are looking at euro on the back foot versus greenback sterling also sliding of course the central bank decision watching around uh, that should impact sterling at this point too dollar yen it's an interesting week for the bank of japan as well so other central banks in the mix here but you can see there is a story of dollar strength right across the board at this stage
0: yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's so much. The reason why I, I sit with the it's not Goldilocks for everyone is because it's Goldilocks for the economy, but not necessarily Goldilocks for those people in the market, including the very experienced lady we spoke to yesterday, Kathy Wood, who was like bemoaning the central bank stance. But guess what, Mr. and Mrs. Market. Oh, if you're unmarried, guess what? Market. Um, you, you can't have it always. If you want a stronger economy, and I thought that was a great set of SEP in terms of the optimism from the Federal Reserve. If you want a stronger SEP, you want growth to be better, you want inflation. To, to, to abate, well, albeit slowly, because I think people want to abate a bit quicker, but you want the jobs market to remain robust as well, then there are ramifications for interest rates. And I, I all along, I mean, throughout my concerns about the transitional argument uh, and now, I've said, look, if you want the economy stronger, you're not going to get the rate cuts you want. So all those expected two rate cuts in the first half of the year, that's just been blown out of the water. And hence your point, and can we get the Treasuries back again? Hence Karen's point about the... the, the uh, The 17-year high for the two-year note as well, uh, 5.18. But that is still below, of course, uh, what the Fed funds rate is expected to be for this year as well. So I say to people, this is good news. This is good news for the economy. It's good news for jobs because the joblessness was cut aggressively. Uh, The growth was um, uh, increased. But there was a line in there as well from Jay Power that about 2026 being the landing time, 4 2% as well. Well, 2026 is still, you know, a good two and a bit years away.
2: A, a couple of points. Proceed carefully. This was something that we saw JPAL use in terms of phrasing quite regularly. So he's obviously concerned around the soft landing scenario and getting it wrong. So effectively tightening too much. But then, of course, the other scenario, not doing enough. And you see inflation reignited. So I think it is telling you just how challenging still the job is for the central bank from here. Hence the reason we've still got that rate hike, perhaps on the agenda later this year, November, or December. I want to just go back to the dot plots if I can, because for me, what jumped out on the dot plots is how difficult and how wide the dispersion is from here, which means we're very largely data dependent. The dot plot is showing you just a cluster of uh, dots around a very similar time frame here, for instance. A very similar amount is what you're seeing for 2022, right? 2023, the cluster is still quite close. As you look into next year, it broadens out and then that continues over 2025. That is telling you that it's much trickier to try and gauge what is happening with the economy the further we get out. And I think that's where some of the uncertainty comes in for investors. Something that was raised, raised yesterday by Jay Powell, put on the team, but also the members picked up in the meeting, was that the neutral rate could be higher and this is something we've discussed on the show before yeah, to
0: 2.75 potentially
2: right or even three percent was a level that was floated around and the number of participants that moved their expectations around neutral that's growing over the last number of meetings so it is something worth noting because in the past what did you have well think about the, the consumer post-financial crisis they cut back on debt they were so mm. concerned about all the debt issues that had blown up around them they were cutting back on debt. Then we had low interest rates for a very long time and we were encouraged to go out and get the biggest loan we could and lean into to scooping up assets using credit. That's of course changed the psychology a and lot. that's very important. Right, central banks as well Fighting the prospect of deflation, so keeping rates low because they're concerned we could go into a deflationary spiral. We're not in that world anymore. We're in a world where central banks are going to be concerned about getting to two percent, then staying at two percent, not slipping into a deflationary environment. So let's talk about so that neutral rate could be high for a
0: ramifications. I and we spent a lot of time this week already looking at the various more forms of financing whether it be uh, sovereign loans in the in the bond markets as well whether it be home equity loans whether it be auto loans maybe it be student loans as well but the forms of financing that are going to remain higher for longer uh, it doesn't matter if you're an EM sovereign bond trying to raise uh, domestically or internationally Uh, A stronger U.S. rate environment is going to affect everyone. And and again, this lazy line that only 10 to 13 percent of U.S. homeowners are affected so far uh, by the higher rates. Well, over a longer period of time, that's going to extrapolate to 10 to 13 percent every year as well. Plus all the other loans going up. And we've talked about revolving credit and we've talked about used and new car loans as well. And across the board. Higher financing for longer is gonna have ramifications and it's gonna have ramifications for that. I don't know if someone preempted me because that's exactly what I want to show as well, because we're gonna see a wheat and chaff exercise going on here as well. The companies that can raise money aggressively still going forward and the ones who are gonna have more punitive terms, because I would suspect that over the medium term, what you're gonna see is IG remains very, very popular, investment grade as well. But as you go down the curve as well, people are gonna be a lot more discerning. So I think actually this is a brilliant opportunity for our viewers. I really do And We've got a stock uh, expert in a few moments. I think it's a brilliant opportunity for our viewers. So actually, rather than just, just all one tide, floating all boats, I think now there's going to be a lot of dispersion. And it's been very interesting over the next 12 months. A
2: big question is where this leaves other central banks now, too, because the growth story is not just uh, the one for the United States, for instance. There has been packages rolled out, question marks around growth in Europe and also in the UK. Don't forget. So if growth is not as strong as the United States now for the next phase, Where does it leave other central banks if the Fed is still very tight on policy? But let's take a look at the market reaction. Asian equities are also taking a leg lower following the Fed's updated outlook. JP Ong joins us now from Singapore with more. JP.
3: Well, Karen, good morning. And yes, the outlook here is definitely one where you're seeing markets, equity markets and forex markets, all seeing red and softness, respectively. Stocks across the region from Tokyo to Taipei, Singapore to Sydney and Shanghai, all are taking a step back after that hawkish pause by the Federal Reserve. It's not so much that they held rates, but the fact that they said that there might be one more rate hike in the cards and that rates might stay higher for longer. Well, that's not really lending much in terms of sentimental support for the region. You can take a look at all these indices, the Nikkei 225, taking it on the chin, down by about 1.3%. And a lot of the tech-heavy indices, like you're seeing the South Korean cost be down by 1.6%, a lot of the chip makers there, a lot of the tech-related stocks in Seoul also taking a bit of a step back. The TIEX in Taiwan also noted for having exposure to this tech sector, also falling by about 1.3% in today's session. So you're seeing it really hitting broadly from East Asia all the way down to Southeast Asia with the Straits Times Index in Singapore and the Qualiper Composite also taking a bit of a step back. The KLCI finding a little bit more footing, but they're still about... 0.2% lower so far in today's session. Now, what might be more interesting to watch out for is the forex space, actually. And again, a lot of the for- uh, currencies in South, in Asia, that is, also softening at the back of that uh, of the firm uh, the firmer uh, dollar index. There is one notable exception. We want to watch out for the Japanese yen. It's looking a bit softer today, but definitely firmer than most others in the region. A government spokesperson has taken note of the fact that the yen is threading 150 against the greenback, and he did say that once again today, the, the, uh, the government government itself is ready to step in and actually uh, and act should there be excessive volatility against the Japanese yen. That's also interesting because the Je- Bank of Japan is kicking off their two-day policy meeting and set to make their policy decision tomorrow. They're expected to stand pat, but there might be more tweaks potentially for, uh, around, the, around the yield curve control policy and possibly a signal to when they might actually lift out of uh, their negative rate environment in Japan. And the Japanese yen, definitely one thing to watch out for. I do also want to point out that uh, emerging market currencies in Asia also worth watching from the likes of the Philippine Peso, the Thai Baht, and uh, the and the Malaysian Ringgit, among others. Keep in mind that later on today, the Bank Indonesia and the Bank, Banco Central in the Philippines both set to make their policy decisions. But an interesting comment from the new Thai Prime Minister, Tseta Tavesin, he did say that the Thai Baht's recent weakness was really down to excess volatility and also an interest rate differential with the Federal Reserve. Keep in mind that if the Fed continues to hike a lot of these emerging markets, actually, with those uh, rate differentials, so with a premium, at least, over 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 the Fed, we'll see that eaten up. In fact, when you take a look at Thailand, their policy rate is actually about 275 basis points behind the the upper end of the Fed Fund's target range. And if they hike once again, it could put even more pressure on the Thai bot and and introduce much unwelcome volatility once again to the forex markets for that part of the world. So emerging market currencies in Asia, definitely something to watch out for for the FX traders out in London, but overall you're seeing that there's general weakness for many of these uh, currencies here and also carrying over to equities, which isn't looking like they're getting much encouragement so far this Thursday. Back to you guys out in London.
0: JP, excellent work. Thank you very much indeed for that analysis. I've got some great analysis now, and it's going to take it in a slightly different direction with Neil Wilson, CEO of EJF. Uh, Lovely to see you. Look, I I don't want to go over old ground. Karen and I have covered a lot of what actually happened, but I want to just talk about this in more of a 3D fashion with the two of you as well, because you're looking at the the, the banks and you're looking at liquidity as well, which are both key parts that neither of us mentioned there, so just take it away.
1: Well, I would say on on the US side, you are having um, major uh, data that's showing you that loan constriction credit restriction is happening in the background and you have regulatory threats of raising capital requirements liquidity requirements testing um, and so as a consequence uh, the the Fed as you said uh, in the prior segment is got you know is basically putting out a very rosy picture about where the economy is but the actual on the- ground loans being made by banks has constricted tremendously so I do worry that they in my view, is that he should not raise in November or December, um, that they've done enough to calm things down and have that soft landing that Jay Powell clearly was taking credit for yesterday.
2: So as you look at the banks, uh, it's worth noting that the course of trade for the banks all week has been lower. In fact, we've seen a lot of pain there, even though to the downside yesterday was tech names. Banks over the course of the week have been losing a lot of ground, to, to your point, as to the market perception of the banks. When you talk about tighter credit, what does it mean in terms of the various different pieces of the market for at least the consumer? Are we finally going to see Main Street change its behaviours at this point? And are we going to see further pain for the housing market?
1: I think you're definitely going to see more pain in the housing market because rates are historic highs. I mean, uh, you know, for 40-year highs, pushing 7% for a mortgage. Um, now America does have the 30-year mortgage, so that's a nice thing, but over time that's, 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 that's constricting housing. Um, but in terms of the, the, um, the ability on credit, uh, you are seeing that less loans are being made, tighter, tighter constriction, and so what does that mean? banks are down like 24 percent so there is an opportunity there for the brave uh for the punchers out there but but the ultimately who steps in in lending it's going to be the asset managers uh, it's going to be the insurance companies so there are some positives out there where you will see lending the other thing i would point out is that it's that there's two big um, acts that, that congress passed in 2022 the Inflation Reduction Act, poor name, but but very big on promoting renewables. So that's, a, that's an opportunity set for people to invest in. And then the Infrastructure Act, again, 2022, they have not kicked in yet. They're just starting to kick in. And on the renewables, they have a tradable tax credit. And so that, there's going to be a lot of manufacturing coming back to the country. So that's the positive view. But what I'm seeing on the ground with banks is constriction of credit.
0: Um- Oh, there's so much to uh, debate with you there. Um, Let me go through one point. I'll just chuck this out there. Um, I don't know if I believe all of what I'm about to say, but I'll say it anyway. um, The banks aren't down because of what's going on with interest rates. In fact, you could argue that actually the the NIM versus delinquency concern on uh, credit restrictions, it's a very close battle. I would argue the banks are down for a completely different reason, or certainly the investment banks, because investment banks have done well out of the failures in March, let's be honest about it, the, or the bigger banks, because they've seen a flood of deposits in because they are deemed safer. And they've already got the stringent rules that perhaps the regional banks should have had, but didn't have an oversight. I think the banks are down because of the market, because of deal activity, because Goldman's is struggling to generate as much fee activity. And it's the same for the others as well. But I've made that very binary. I'm sure it's not as clear as that. Well, look, on the
1: money centre banks, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, but I think that the regulatory uh, regime in America, I say this all the time, there's three different banking systems in America. money center banks, the regional banks, which just got hit brutally, and then the small banks. And small banks are the small lenders. And, and, and there's a real estate risk across all of them, for example. But in the small banks, they're doing owner-occupied type real estate. It's a very different kettle of fish than big CRE you know, um, you know where you have you have problems with with big projects, and you oh, just well, toss you the keys back because
0: we've had so many people come through this desk. Because C R E, no problem at all. Private markets and their valuation of C R E, don't worry about it. It's not a thing. So, uh, I, I the interesting, you should pick that up on C R E. Well, look, higher, higher for longer, which is
1: clearly the Fed's approach, is going to there's going to be things broken, and the basic, you know, if you if you basically refinanced as Karen mentioned, the low rate environment. Those loans are typically five years, five to seven years. Well, what's going to happen? You know, in, when you have rates increasing this dramatically, things are going to get broken. But I think the banks are going to get hit. Most of that are going to be these regional banks. And I'd like to just put out one statistic. So, in two thousand eight, two thousand ten, we had three hundred bank failures, and it was about five hundred and fifty billion dollars. We had four banks, only four banks, in March of this year, and it was six hundred billion dollars worth of assets. So. What that tells you is the problem is not broad. It is targeted and idiosyncratic to those regional banks. And I do think the regulatory world, which affects these banks tremendously — they're regulated, obviously — is going to affect those regional banks the most. So that's where you want to be not involved. But in small banks and money center, I think you can't be involved.
2: So steer clear of some of those regional banks, but in terms of the opportunity you mentioned before about the Inflation Reduction Act. I wonder whether that is the element that is supporting the U.S. economy and the one element that means a soft landing scenario is possible. Because if you look at other countries, other jurisdictions, there hasn't been the same level of support and we're now seeing growth starting to fade. So if we're playing jurisdictions, does the U.S. jump out still because you've got that check in the bank around this fiscal stimulus?
1: Well, at the risk of sounding like an American, I agree with that 100%. <laughs> no, but the inflation reduction hasn't even kicked in yet, really. And it's a 10-year program, that's significant, and it's, it's half, a bill, half a trillion dollars worth of tax credits. You're going to see a resurgence of building and manufacturing of renewables in America. And one of the requirements is made in America. So- uh, Inflation. S- well, that, that's, that's why I would say the best thing for the Fed to do is hold pat, jawbone like they did yesterday, and let, let it so- let it land softly, as Jay Paula said, said, said it's doing, and let this in- Infrastructure Act come into play, that's stimulative, as well as the renewable inflation
0: if, reduction. If you're Act. the, the uh, administration, you thought you were going to get about $300 billion, 377 top end from this IRA, uh, as you say, unfortunately named, uh, and suddenly you're getting over a trillion dollars worth of investment. That's inflationary as far as I can see. It's a bit like shale down in Dakota or Texas. All of a sudden, the truck drivers are earning $150,000 a year.
1: Um, that's true, but what I would say is it's going to it's going to play out over many years. It's just it hasn't even kicked in, but it's not going to just hit all at once. This is more of a longer term play. Yeah. So investors, you really want to think about, you know, investing in the areas where you think, like in the renewable area, where it's going to be a longer term glide path. But it's it's very stimulative, but it's over a ten year you know ten year program, and and, and the the, uh, the tax credit component of it is very new. They're transferable. That's a new concept where you can build a plant and you can sell your tax credit. You know, uh, so that, that's going to be very stimulative, because yeah. you, instead of using the tax credit, you can sell it to somebody else. And, and that's going to, that's going to be very interesting.
0: tax credits is okay. what people have been crying out for, for years. Oh, it's,
1: it's a brilliant move. Really yeah. So, a, so brilliant a couple
2: move. of points here, we're talking about the neutral rate being high for longer, which does feel as though the story we're talking around, the IRA has the potential to lift those long-term mutual rates. The other point, it does feel as though the uh, central banks may not be on the same page now for the next uh, phase because you've got a very different scenario playing out in the United States. So that's quite different to what we've just been through, right? Now.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And, and just think about it, America and Europe are roughly the same size from, from uh, you know population standpoint. You have 50 different tax regimes in, in the Europe. How are you gonna have a similar kind of program? where you have different parts of the country, you know, taking advantage in the manufacturing area and cheaper areas. Europe, it's going to be really hard to compete with the renewable, uh, renewable credits that they've put into this act.
0: How the world has changed? We've got to go on, but how much did you say those regional banks cost in terms of the, 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 the concerns this year? Was it, it was X hundred billion? Six hundred billion. OK, how about this for context for all of you out there? Because I'm the only one old enough to know it's possibly nil. <laughs> Well, it's one of the benefits of Jeff going, I'm now the oldest person in the room. Um, 1995, the world was shaken by bearings collapse. Remember that one as well? Nick Leeson. In fact, it was Jeff Cutmore who chased him around Singapore and found him. Uh, 1995, bearings collapses. Massive ripple effect, yeah? This time around, four regional banks that no one had ever heard of beforehand outside of the U.S. as well. $600 billion. How much do you think bearings cost in unrealised losses in 1995 it barely scratched the side on a billion bucks. Wow! Just shows you how money's changed. Indeed. The scale of things nowadays is much more terrifying. Neil, we love having you on. In fact, we love it so much that one of these days, they're gonna let you come in at seven rather than six. That but will, in, the meantime, in the meantime, the producers are gonna be brutal and keep you on the early shift. Anyway, but lovely to see you. Thank you so much indeed for your time. Neil Wilson, CEO of EJF. And let me just tell you, for more on what's changed in the Fed's latest statement and what it could mean for markets, check out cnbc.com, we've got loads of copy on there.
2: Well, meantime, coming up on the show, FedEx delivers as a hefty beat on first quarter profit sends it soaring in after hours. The Bank of England tries to thread the needle after Wednesday's surprise CPI print upends rate hike bets. Plus, JD Sports posts its first half scorecard before markets kick off. We'll be speaking to the CEO, Regis Schultz, at nine fifteen CET. Don't miss that conversation. It's a first on CNBC. FedEx shares rose in extended trade after the company beat on profit expectations in the first quarter. The global delivery company reported a 32% jump in Q1 earnings, with EPS coming in at $4.55 per share versus the 3.71 anticipated. Now, FedEx also said it added customers from rivals UPS and Yellow. Could I,
0: just, I, know we, I know people are obsessed by Claudio and all Instagram. I don't actually don't care about them so much as I care about FedEx. Yeah. The because reason because I care about FedEx is because it's a massive metaphor for the economy. Mm. And and, and a beat like that just underlines what Jay Powell is saying. It's the marriage of the corporate and what the overall macroeconomic view is. Look at that. 6% rally. I I don't know if we can get a longer chart, but don't worry if we can't. But I just think that's really interesting, that the company's beating so aggressively and the market's saying, well, hang on, this is great.
2: But market share gains too, so it's about individual execution. And that is true. That is
0: absolutely spot on.
2: But uh, let's get to Clavier. The shares did rise 9% following the company's debut on the New York Stock Exchange. The marketing automation company became the first notable venture-backed software firm to go public in the States since 2021. Clavio priced 19.2 million shares at $30 each in its float. One of Clavio's biggest backers is Shopify, which owns nearly 11 percent of the company's shares. But CEO of Clavio, Andrew Bielecki, has told CNBC the firm is expanding to attract other customers.
3: We also do that with a lot of other platforms, uh, both in retail and even outside of retail. Um, you know, we just we love working with other software companies that really complement Clavio, that are kind of they provide you know the that you know that. Uh, the payment, the back office, and we try to help with the customer experience on the front end. We love building software that helps businesses take on challenges. You know, For our customers, we just want to be that revenue growth engine. Um, so we feel like we give them the tools to help grow their business and do it in a really durable
0: way. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.